This sermon, We Are Deacon Dependent, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, September 5th, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. If you missed it, last week we looked at the role of pastor. We are in the middle of a series that we are calling Grounded. We are taking a look at seven core biblical convictions that unite us as a local church, but as well unite us together with our family of churches, Sovereign Grace Churches. Um, And last week, we looked at we are pastor-led. Now, this week, we're going to veer from that. We're taking a detour from our seven shared values to focus on the second office that we see in Scripture, that is, the deacon. Now, that's not officially a part of our seven shared values, Uh, But we felt like coming off of last week, this would be a natural place to be able to talk about the role of deacon. While we are pastor-led, we are deacon-dependent. Now, if you're thinking, we are? (laughs) I didn't even know we had deacons in this church. Well, you would be justified in your thinking, Um, I take full responsibility for this. The truth is, is that, that, that as pastors, we haven't done a good job over the years of recognizing this office, of giving it the biblical, the place that Scripture uh, does. We have talked about deacons in the past. Uh, we do have deacons. Uh, you might not even know if you're a deacon or not. That's how poorly we, we have led through this. Um, but we are excited about moving forward. And so this is, this is an important sermon. This is why last week I asked, if you're not going to be here this Sunday due to the long weekend, make sure that you listen to this sermon. If you know somebody in your community group who's not here this morning, send them a text this week. Hey, make sure you listen to that sermon because this is an important sermon in the life of our church. So what is a deacon and why is he important to the church. To answer these questions, we're going to look at Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Now, ironically, our text is absent of the word deacon. In fact, the, 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 a deacon is only mentioned twice in Scripture. Philippians 1.1, where Paul greets the overseers and the deacons, and then 1 Timothy 3, where we find the qualifications for the diaconate. The seven men that we will be introduced to here in Acts 6, they were not called deacons in Acts 6, but they do serve as a prototype, if you will, for the deacon that we see later on in Scripture. That is clear if we understand Acts 6 rightly. Now, Before we get into the text, I want to caution us. Don't get caught up in the methodology of our text. What I mean by that is, were they voting? Does there have to be seven men? What about feeding the widows? Those details, they are not commands, and they are not normative precedents meant for the New Testament church to follow. They are what scholars call occasional precedents. That is, things that are modeled in Scripture that aren't necessarily for the church today. So don't get caught up in some of these 
details because it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture. I like how Alexander Strzok, uh, who has written some excellent work on this office, he says, Act 6 is not a list of regulations and rules, so it should not be interpreted as a strict blueprint to be followed in every detail. Well said. With that, stand with me and let's read God's word together. Acts 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for gathering your people this morning. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us who are out enjoying the long weekend in a unique way. We pray that they are refreshed. We pray that somehow they are being fed your word this morning. And we pray that you bring them back to us safely. But for those who you have gathered here now, Lord, I ask that your word would bear fruit. Lord, help me a man wholly dependent on your spirit. He's been called to a task that he is very inadequate for apart from your spirit. May our time now bring you glory and do great good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, do I have a book? Somebody steal my book. <clears throat> Babe, would you go get, get that for me? It's in the office, in my office. It's a purple book. I thought I had brought it up here. So I really can't go any further until I have my book. <laughs> so who was planning on being vacation this weekend, but something happened and you're here? Anybody? Cancel vacation? No? Okay. I'm not good at killing time. <laughs> Who is glad they're here instead of, yeah, okay, there you go. 
I'm no Bob Coughlin. Who thoroughly enjoyed our time of singing this morning? And has everybody met my wife, Donna? Thanks, babe. Glad that's over. Back to business. In his uh, Nine Marks book, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church, Matt Smethurst humbly and humorously exposes popular misconceptions about the deacon. He calls this one pastor and training Peter. Heard they're making you a deacon, Peter. How long before they make you an elder? Then he talks about toolbox Terrence. Terrence, you're good at fixing things. They should make you a deacon. Then there's spreadsheet Sam. Our church budget is a mess. We're looking at another financial shortfall and don't have any clear income projections for the next fiscal year. Why don't we make Sam a deacon? Doesn't he fix people's money problems for a living? Then, of course, there's corporate cliff. Seminaries may teach ancient languages, bless their heart, but they can't teach executive skills. What this church really needs are some decisive deacons with serious business sense. Uh, and then there's Vito Vinny. What's the point of being deacons if we're just yes men? Of course, I tell Pastor Dave how it is. Who else will? Besides, I only want to keep him humble. Last thing we need is a puffed-up pastor. And then there's pseudo-elder Steve. Welcome to First Baptist Church, where the pastors say things and the deacons run things. Seriously, though, if you want to get something important done around here, you've got to convince those deacons. He goes on to say, whether the role of deacons in your church has been wrongly inflated or wrongly reduced, that's what I believe we would be guilty of. The solution is not to swing from one extreme to another, but to restore deacons to their intended biblical purpose and irreplaceable biblical role. Deacons are not the church's spiritual council of directors nor the executive board to whom the past pastor CEO answers. They are the calvary of servants, deputized to execute the elders' vision by coordinating various ministries. Deacons are like a congregation's special ops force, carrying out unseen assignments with fortitude and joy. Here's what I hope to establish today as it relates to deacons at Sovereign Grace Church. As living expressions of God's goodness and care for his church, deacons serve by focusing on the church's need as an extension of the pastors with a delegated authority and responsibility from the pastors. How do we get there from Acts 6? Well, we begin with point one. Deacons exist to serve the pastors. Notice verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, 
you know that by this time in history, the church in Jerusalem was thriving. When you combine uh, the, pro- uh, the progress reports in chapter 4, verse 30 to 35, and as well in chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, Luke's words here in verse 1 describe a church that is growing and maturing. It was thriving. People were looking on and saying, what is going on? But growing pains are inevitable, aren't they? And the church in Jerusalem suddenly had a big problem. A feud within the church broke out. Luke identifies the Hellenist widows, that is the Greek-speaking Jews who were widows. They, They apparently were being overlooked in the daily food distribution. Whether or not that oversight was intentional or simply poor administration, Luke doesn't say. But whatever the cause, this was the first big test of love and unity in the church. But it was a serious situation. This was a real test. Did you notice that word complaint in verse 1? Literally, it, it, it paints a picture of uh, behind-the-scenes grumbling. That's the idea. People were whispering and grumbling to one another. This, this situation in Jerusalem, this was a potentially explosive and divisive situation. From a modern-day perspective, people are talking in the corner of the lobby. People are venting on social media. There are uncharitable judgments about the church and pastors and leaders being thrown around in the conversations, in the privacy of their own homes. We all know how that works, don't we? We've all been there or we've been, we've been exposed to somebody who's went there. I don't want to overlook one thing that we learn about the church here. And that is the nature of the local church is messy, <laughs> And the church in Acts experienced that relational messiness. The church is precious, but it's not perfect. I love Charles Spurgeon's words when he said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. (laughs) Still, imperfect as it is, he says, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Be easy to overlook that as we focus on deacons. But Acts 6 sets our perspective straight. The church is precious to us. But it is not perfect. And it is not perfect because we make it up. (laughs) Oh, we long for the perfection of heaven one day, don't we? But notice the solution. So there's a problem here. It is potentially explosive. 
And notice the solution. Verse 2. It is not right. This is the leaders that came. These are the pastors. This is Peter and the other disciples. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So, Pete, so, so, so the leaders immediately, as they, they call a meeting, they gather everybody up, they begin with, in their solution, guys, we've got other things that we have to give ourselves to than serving tables. And then in verse 3, it says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. So guys, we got a problem we need to solve it, but we have to give ourselves to the, the, the ministry of prayer and preaching of the word, and so we are going to task other people in the church, and then he ends with verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Now, it's easy to miss, but I bet you caught it. I bet you caught it, because I know you guys are savvy readers of the word, The driving force behind their solution was identifying the pastor's role. Did you catch that? That's where they began. Should the pastors be doing this? What is the pastor's response? What are the pastor's responsibilities? They begin by identifying. The pastor's roles. The bookends of verse uh, of verse two and four are all about the pastor, not the deacon. It's about the pastor and their call to the ministry of the word. Now, undoubtedly, there were numerous ways that they could solve the widow situation. But whatever the solution, it had to accomplish releasing the pastors to be in word and. Prayer. This text is just as much about the pastor's role as it is about the deacon's role. In fact, the deacon's role is informed first and foremost, as we see here, by the pastor's role. Now, to be sure, this is not a group of arrogant men who thought they were above serving tables. To the contrary, these men, these leaders learned from Jesus what it meant to be a servant leader. He modeled that for them. And please don't think your pastors are ever, ever above or too busy for you. I can tell you this, Tim and I love serving you in every way we get to, in every way that we have the privilege to. But like the leaders in Jerusalem, we know, we know that our calling includes a devotion, not just a responsibility, but a devotion to prayer and preaching. So our understanding of the deacon begins with our understanding of the pastor. Pastors need men who can uniquely serve them in their service to the church. That's what deacons ultimately do. They, They don't replace 
the pastor. They don't compete with the pastor. They serve and complement the pastors so the pastors can give themselves to prayer and preaching, get this, without neglecting the people. This is not justification for me to lock myself up in my office with my books. (laughs) The shepherd should be with the sheep. A pastor should be with the people. A pastor is ultimately responsible, and more importantly, Hebrews 13, 17, accountable to God for shepherding the people. But there is this devotion that Scripture calls the pastor to when it comes to prayer and ministry of the word. Alexander Strzok says, church shepherds must radically insist on a schedule that affirms the spiritual priorities of prayer and the ministry of God's word. The deacons of the church also need to fix these priorities firmly in their minds. Simply put, deacons exist to serve the pastors. First thing that we see from what happened in Jerusalem. Now, the second thing that we see is that deacons serve the pastors by serving the people. Deacons exist to serve the pastors, and how do they do that? Nobody's washing my car, by the way. They do that by serving the people. Notice verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, to serve the widows. One reason that I love Acts 6 is it's a wonderful expression of pastors clearly and thoughtfully leading and the congregation joyfully and humbly following as they participate in a very meaningful way. Well, we don't know all the details of this family meeting, but Luke has given us all the details that we need. We just read in verses two through three, the pastors, what we see are the pastors recognizing and owning this problem. And so they create a solution to the problem. They call a family meeting where according to verse 3, they gave clear and specific direction to the church. Church, here's the problem. And here's how we're going to lead through that problem. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. And here's the role that we want you to take. And here's how we want you to take it. And so there's this wonderful leading and following going on here. In verses 5 through 6, we, we see the congregation embracing and submitting. Luke says, and it, it pleased, the idea pleased the gathering. So the congregation is embracing this idea. They're submitting to their pastor's plans. And it's in this lead-follow relationship we get a picture of the deacon's role. Look back at verse 2. 
Did you notice the phrase, serve tables? The word is diaconal. It's the verb for serving. And in it, we find the idea of the deacon, diakonos, meaning servant or assistant. In that verb in verse 2, we find the idea of deacon, even though the word deacon is missing. These men were servants who served the pastors who needed to continue to give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer by serving the widows. Now, one might say, pastor, everybody in the church is called to serve. We're all servants. So what's the big deal? What's the difference between the deacon and just that person who's out there serving? We're all called to serve. What's the big deal about the deacon? Well, in one sense, you would be right. And you could apply that to the pastor as well. We, we are all servants in the house of the Lord, playing the part that the Lord has called us to. But like we saw last week, like the pastor, the deacon is different in Scripture. Did you notice the, the leaders in Jerusalem didn't say, hey, just go rally some folks who have the time and the willingness to make sure these widows get fed. He didn't say that. There was a call for a different group. This group of seven were different. This was not a popularity contest. They were different. These servants were different. You'll notice in verse three, they had to be set, they had to be qualified. Find men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Don't just go get anybody. Find men who qualify. So they had to be qualified. And they were publicly recognized, publicly installed. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Yes, we are all servants, but the deacon is unique. Whether it's identifying and meeting tangible needs in the church, protecting and promoting unity in the church, or, or facilitating ministry that the pastors equip the church for and the congregation does. Deacons are men who serve the pastors by serving the people and knowing it's a calling from the Lord and recognized in his church, they do it with uncommon joy, sacrifice, and commitment to their Savior and the local church that they love. And listen, when I throw the word unique out there, I think we know this. There's only one thing ultimately unique about the deacon. And at the end of the day, it's the only thing that's unique about any one of us. We not only know Christ, we are known by Christ. We are in him, 
and he is in us. Through the cross, we have been forgiven and justified, sealed with the Holy Spirit as pardoned sinners by grace, adopted sons and daughters into the very family of God himself, whom he is sanctifying and perfecting and will finally perfect in all its perfections when Christ returns, when the trumpet sounds, when the angels cry and Christ comes on the clouds to fully and finally establish his kingdom forever. There's one thing that makes the deacon, or any of us for that matter, unique. If you're visiting with us this morning, that's one thing. There's nothing special about us. The only thing special going on here is the one who we are here for. Nobody identifies around here with the office that they hold or the ministry that they serve or the degree of public leadership that they have the privilege to experience. We are a gospel-centered church, which means that all we are and all we do is because of and for and to the glory of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else we've got. That's the only song we have to sing. You might be a deacon. I might be a pastor. You might lead children's ministry. Or you might clean the church. What makes you unique is that you belong to Jesus. Let's not lose sight of that. That's how the gospel guards us from becoming puffed up or from identifying with gifts and roles, which is so easy for us to do, isn't it? So ultimately, ultimately we see that the deacon exists to serve the pastors by serving the people. And ultimately, the office of deacon isn't about what the deacon does. It isn't about the ministry he does. It's about the man God has made him. It's about the man God has made. Let me give you an example. In the past, we, we began with the ministry. Does this ministry demand a deacon? And so we would think through, well, who can we make a deacon? At one time, our community group leaders were our deacons. And as of today, <laughs> that's the way it is. Doesn't mean a community group leader has to be a deacon. It means a, a deacon can be a community group leader. But that's more about the ministry and not the man. Here's where our conviction has shifted. That the office begins with the man, not the ministry. Is he a deacon? Is he a man called to that office? Does, do, do the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 surface in his life as expressions of God's grace? Does he have faith to serve the church in that sacrificial role? 
he does, let's identify him as such, and we'll worry about deploying him however that may be. Sometimes deacons might not have anything on their plates. But the office is not ultimately about the ministry. It's about the man. And this seems to be Scripture's focus. It really does. The Bible doesn't say much about the deacons. We can read a lot into the original language and what they do and what they might not do. And granted, many of the early, the early church deacons were very engaged in ministry to the poor and mercy and, and benevolence. But it's clear the model in Acts 6 and the principles that are primary, it's not about the ministry ultimately. It's about releasing the pastors. So Scripture is not completely, Scripture doesn't say a lot about the deacon when it does, but, but what it does say is focused on the man. According to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, the deacon holds an official office in the church. There are only two official offices in the church. Unless you believe the apostles are roaming the earth today. Pastor, deacon. Unlike a community group leader or a ministry team leader, deacons must be qualified to be a deacon. And they must be publicly affirmed, according to 1 Timothy 3. And in those qualifications, there's only one dif- really one difference between the deacon and the pastor. And that is that the deacon must, doesn't have to be able to teach. doesn't mean he can't teach. Just means that's not a qualification. After that, like the pastor, it's all about the character of the man, not about what he does. Directed by the pastors for the good of the congregation, as we see here in Acts 6, deacons carry a delegated authority and responsibility in their individual spheres of service. Deacons are men the pastors can trust to, to, to unleash them and let them do ministry. Finally, in Philippians 1, you, we see a close association between the pastors and the deacons like you don't see with anybody else. As Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he doesn't just address the pastors. He says the pastors and the deacons. Deacons had a high place in the mind and heart of Paul. And so the focus isn't so much on what the deacon does in Scripture. It's on the man who is called to be a deacon. You know, uh, an example of this is Scott McLeod. He and Teresa are traveling this month. Let's be praying for them uh, that they enjoy their time in the Northwest. But many of you know that, that a while back we set Scott McLeod on a trajectory to get ordained and join the plurality here at the church. Um, a while back, he came to me, and it was just clear the more he got into it, the studying, the writing, the conversations he and I were having, uh, he, he, particularly after the sermon I preached in First Peter, of, uh, a man has to own the call in his heart. 
he just humbly came to me and said, I'm not sure I'm called to this office. Okay. So as we begin to talk, I begin to wonder. This is a man who has, I think, a unique calling on his life. Maybe he's not a pastor. Maybe he's a deacon. As I went to him with that, there was this immediate faith. Oh, as we talked about that. So you, you have somebody who is a man who is a pillar in the church. And he's not here right now. And he, he's going to listen to this and go, don't say that stuff to people. It makes me uncomfortable. But I don't need to say that if you know Scott McCloud. But perhaps he's a deacon. So here's our conclusion regarding the deacon. By the way, if you, I want to make sure you understand. So Scott McCloud is no longer pursuing ordination. I think his community group knows that. And maybe some of you through the grapevine have learned of that. Uh, but we wanted to make that a public announcement. We felt like this was an appropriate place to do that. And we are, of course, talking to him about the office of deacon. So here's our conclusion regarding the deacon. More than a mere young workhorse or jack-of-all-trades or a man needing something to do in retirement, deacons are a unique expression of God's goodness and care for his church As the seven men in Acts 6, deacons serve by focusing on the church's needs as an extension of the pastors with a delegated authority and responsibility from the pastors. So deacons exist to serve the pastors. They do that by serving the people. And then finally, deacons are difference makers. In our gospel mission. Notice verse 7. And then we'll look at our application. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The early church was thriving. What could have divided and destroyed her became a mere speed bump. Why would Luke add verse 7? Why would he say, and they kept growing, and the word of the Lord increased. The gospel went forth. People continued to get saved. The church continued to grow and mature. I think the point is Luke wants us to see how important this dynamic, this principle, indeed this office of deacon that that is prototyped for us here in the early church is when pastors and deacons and congregations come together, each joyfully giving themselves to their part, the pastor's not trying to do everything The deacon is focusing on the needs of the church. 
the congregation is affirming and following. What happens? The gospel spreads. The word of God is preached. Sinners are saved. Disciples are made. Churches grow, and I don't mean necessarily by numbers, but in spiritual maturity. So Luke wants us to get, here's the fruit and effect when the church operates in this way. And this really is the ultimate point of Acts 6, 1, 7. This is a progress report. Luke loves progress reports. He was a doctor. (laughs) He was always noting, as he does, making notes of how his patient is doing from, from visit to visit. He's making notes about how the Spirit of God is building the church through the preaching of the gospel. And the reaching out of those believers into their community. He loves progress reports. And the progress report here is catastrophe averted. The word of God increased. And the church continued to move forward. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Listen, we we believe that God has given men to this church who can and should serve as deacons. As I said earlier in the past, we've not always prioritized or stewarded this office as we should. We have reduced the role of the deacon in an unbiblical manner. And I do take responsibility for that. But that changes today. As we have seen in Acts 6, deacons are critical to the church's mission, including ours. So our hope and prayer, here's the application. Our hope and prayer is that we can install deacons. Don't know how many. Don't know what they'll do yet. But we begin with identifying are there men in our church called to this. And our hope and prayer is that we can install deacons as we begin the new year in January. Lord willing, here's how we're going to get there. Step one, we want to hear from every member in this church. We want to know, as you have been a part of this church, As you have experienced relationships, maybe gifting, we want to know who you would recommend would be men of good repute, filled with the Spirit, and filled with biblical wisdom. Now, we have posted, I see some of you taking pictures of that, that's exactly what we were hoping for. Uh, Thank you, Sierra, for such clear instructions. You can go. These instructions, we're going to ask you sometime in the month of September, the earlier the better. We want you to go to our website. You'll put in your code. It'll take you to the deacon recommendation page. There you will see 1 Timothy 
3, 8 through 13, the list of qualifications. And here's your task. Your task is based on those qualifications and this sermon, who would you recommend for a deacon in this church? Now, if you're not a member, don't feel excluded, please. But this is family business. And if you're not a member, we hope that you'll keep coming and join us uh, on the last Sunday in September uh, for our new members meeting because this is our new members class, remember? But if you're a member here, we want your input. We value it. We want your wisdom. We want to know what your experience has been. Who would you recommend as a deacon and why? Who and why? Now listen, and and just a note, in case you're wondering, uh, we do believe at this point that deacons, the diaconate, that that office is for men. Some leave room for the deaconess in the language of 1 Timothy 3.11, and I've studied it, and it's it's tough. It's, I wouldn't fault anybody who, who has deaconesses in their church. Um, at this point, we still believe that this is an office for a man for a number of reasons. And so if you're wondering about that, um, uh, we want to be clear on that. But we want to hear from you in the month of September. In October... Your pastors will prayerfully consider your recommendations, uh, and we will uh, choose deacons. In November, we will introduce those deacons to you once we have had a chance to talk to them, because to, to be a deacon in a local church is a sacrifice. It's a real commitment to lay your life down, to give of your time by serving the pastors and the needs of the church. It's a a real role. And so we want to talk to the men. We want to make sure there's clear understanding of the office. And we want to make sure there's faith to accept that role. And then again, Lord willing, in January, we will begin the year sometime in January and we will publicly install these men. And then we will begin to deploy them in whatever way seems good and right to the Lord. So so that's the process between now and January. But it begins with you. It begins with with your participation of, uh, of telling us who and why. If you have questions, you can call me. Uh, I'll answer them. Uh, but Sierra made it very clear on how to do that. Listen, wrap this up. In God's infinite wisdom and for the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, He gave his church qualified 
and gifted men to serve the pastors by serving the people so that the church would thrive in her gospel mission. Make no mistake, deacons are difference makers. And that's why we are